0: Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for 2018. My name is Michael Amanato and this is Round 1, the Australian Grand Prix. As is fast-becoming tradition for the first race of the season, Lewis Hamilton scored pole position but couldn't win the race with Ferrari's Sebastian Vettel taking the spoils. But was Ferrari too strong or did Mercedes lose Hamilton the Grand Prix? To help analyse all the action, or if you're unkind, the lack thereof, I'm joined by Rob James from F1 Podcast Box of Neutrals.
1: Rob, how are you doing? Yes, hello Michael. Yes, the Australian representative, I guess, so mm. it seems fitting yes. to get someone with an Australian accent for this one. Unlike that? Mark Webber. Or James Allen, even mm. though he had a Channel 10 microphone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The number of people who pretend they're Australian for the Australian <laughs> yeah. Grand Prix doesn't get you any benefits, I can tell
1: you that yeah, why, why would anyone want to pretend to be Australian on the weekend with the Australian cricket team was oh, dear. turfed out in disgrace?
0: Mm, no, you can guarantee. I mean, what would it have taken had Daniel Ricard- for Daniel Ricardo to do this race to usurp the cricket team on the front mm. page?
1: Or just constantly cut turn 11 and 12, <laughs> <just> straight line <laughs> the chicane. Well, the Australian cricket team are cheating, <laughs> so can I. It's good enough
0: for them, it's good enough <laughs> yeah. for me. It's the Australian way. Before we get too poor, Australian. This is still a Formula One yep. uh, strategy podcast, of course, back for 2018. Formula One is back for 2018. And well, based on this first race, we're perhaps not exactly sure how this season is going to pan out because Australia is a bit of an unusual race. We, I love how many times per year Formula One says that this track is atypical. Yes. Every track is almost atypical by the time we get to the end of the year. So we'll talk a little bit about how the field shaped out a little bit later on. But if we really start from the beginning in the sense that the big change from a strategic point of view this year is that Pirelli wanted to change its tyres so that we'd get more variable strategy. So they wanted races to be roughly between a one and a two stop. They wanted to have the right number of compounds that teams could choose one way or the other and you know, based on how their car works and so on and so forth. Uh, no one except Brendan Hartley, who sort of screwed up turn one, stopped twice. <laughs> Which sort of suggested it didn't work so well, did
1: it? No, and and Pirelli on their—they've uh, already failed their first KPI of the season in <laughs> promising two stops for the Australian Grand Prix. It was not the case. Melbourne, as we all know, is not a very abrasive track on on the cars. Mm-hmm. Um, again, atypical for a street circuit. Yes. It's quite smooth. Uh, it's quite leisurely, it's quite gentle on the cars You know, the barriers aren't too close It's not like a Singapore mm-hmm. uh, kind of setup But it, it it's that sort of permanent It's like a permanent facility mixed with a street circuit It's a bit of a hybrid um, track So, I don't understand why we just didn't bring the softest of the softest of the softest compounds, because mm-hmm. I feel we've overcomplicated the tyre situation. Of course, we have the Hypersoft now. We've run out of colours on the on the, uh, on the the CMYK spectrum <laughs> to be able to print colours. They so have to repeat colours off the wet weather tyres now. You need to
0: ask Pantone what they think. <laughs>
1: it's peach now for the Hypersoft now. Uh, so... It it's very confusing. I remember the days we just had a we had a medium, a hard, and a soft, and a, and there was no subcategory of soft. Or they even were literally just it
0: prime an option. I remember yes, era, where the difference was whether or not there was wow. a green stripe on the tire or not. That takes me back. It does. Um, it is interesting though because even when descri- trying to describe the tire, something I sort of was thinking about this week was that. When you start getting into super soft and ultra soft and hypersoft, mm. especially if you're writing, you really have to describe which one comes in which order. Yeah, it's not immediately obvious which way they all go because what's the difference between ultra and hyper, really? Yeah, uh,
1: but but I think the the tyre situation has to be it de- does depend on on every single circuit. So, for example, um, I, I think a hard compound tyre in Australia is useless because mm-hmm. you, it's so difficult to overtake on that circuit. You need something that's going to, I guess. In in effect, artificially create, uh, and 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 it was noticeable. I don't I don't remember there was much uh, marbles out on the track. The track no. wasn't terribly dirty. It was it was all quite serene, and there wasn't too much overtaking. Um, there was of course Ricardo and and Hockenberg and a couple of other moves, but there were no real um, sort of big dives into turn three or or um, into turn nine this year. So you know may, maybe. There was that rumour that Turn 9 was going to be become a straight line chicane almost mm-hmm. now. I joked about that before it was uh, almost the thing um, but maybe there needs to be some thinking about some modifications to the track maybe we have too much data now this is we've been mm. to Melbourne for over 25 years all the teams now know what to expect
0: well that's an interesting question because people were talking about this after the race I saw some Twitter commentary about it which of course is always a terrific oh, yes. guiding light for conversation yes. but the idea that Melbourne as you said is 20 odd years old now uh, it's a street circuit it is admittedly constrained by the fact it's in a public park but you know it's relatively Relatively narrow, the corners are all similar-ish, designed yeah. in an era where, you know, everyone was very safety conscious about circuit design, as they still are now, but yeah. it was a different kind of idea. Has Melbourne in the current layout perhaps outgrown, or rather has Formula One outgrown Melbourne in its current layout? Do we need to change the circuit to keep it um, thriving or interesting?
1: Well, consider the other 19, odd races that we have in the calendar. If we look back at last year's championship, how many races were really barnstormingly crazy? Mm. Uh, that they were all quite uh, enjoyable, worth mm. the hour and a half of, of viewing, but they weren't sort of um, leap out of your chair and and, and shout very loudly. They were. <laughs> it was like the Australian. It was a bit of a thinking person's Grand Prix. There was mm. some interesting strategy: the virtual safety car and the actual safety car. Um, you know, certainly helped uh, Vettel sort of vault up uh, in the standings and, and, and some calculations going on there. And, you know, it was, it was a, an otherwise okay and enjoyable, digestible Grand Prix. <laughs> um, but it, it certainly wasn't one of the most boring ones, but it certainly wasn't action packed either. Mm. for this new Formula 1 era as well that we've been promised with the new logo and theme music, yeah, wow, which wow. is in my head as we speak right now.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's doing the trick, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I suppose that shows why Pirelli needed to target that two-stop because at very least, two stops would have, you'd have think if we were at a two-stop situation that the performance differentiation at certain points in the race because of the tyres might have helped cars follow each other. We know yeah. that's very difficult, not only in the current era of Formula 1, but at this particular circuit where there's so much um, focus on traction and it's quite high speed, which means there's more of that loss of downforce when you're following cars so yeah maybe next year this will be a hyper soft Hmm. circuit
1: or if that's not soft enough just run the wets
0: yeah why not (laughs) just make it rain if only it had rain maybe that would have made it more interesting oh yeah just run them in the dry anything's possible they did it in testing if we move to the grand prix proper though After we'd already figured out that it was likely to be a one-stop Grand Prix because practice showed us all of that. And even though we thought maybe rain would happen, it was all clear.
1: Or a one-team Grand Prix after qualifying with Hamilton's blistering qualifying time.
0: Exactly right. Which, actually, speaking of tyres, seemed to be largely down to tyres. It seemed like he really just hooked up those tyres perfectly on that lap because he's adamant. And Toto Wolff said that the engine mode was exactly the same, the so-called party mode, which I get the sense that they wish they hadn't coined it like (laughs) that. They're getting sick of it already.
1: There was no Mission to the party on that day, apparently. No, exactly. He slept in, he was in his pyjamas and tracksuit pants, <laughs> watching Netflix, eating some a bowl of popcorn.
0: I bet Sebastian, well, Sebastian Vettel won, but I bet at times he would have thought that he, he would have wished he would have done that on a Sunday and not turned up. But I think the thing that really decided, there were two things that decided this Grand Prix strategically. One is what we'll get to in terms of the safety car, but I think the other decisive actually came in qualifying in Q3 when Valtteri Bottas at the start of his fastest lap, or what would have been his fastest lap, stacked his car out of turn two, just completely, uh, we oversteered out of turn one, then speared off into the wall and did a lot of damage uh, that also necessitated a a penalty for a gearbox change. Instead Mm. of just starting 10th, he had to start 15th, which meant that with Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel in second and third on the grid, Hamilton had no backup. He had to try and play two guards against him. Strategically, that was always going to be very difficult because you were probably Going to lose track position to one of them, and I guess that shows. I mean, I didn't expect to have to be talking about Mercedes in this context. Not when we talk about Kimi Raikkonen letting the team down and being the slower car or the the car that's off performance for a weekend. But it does show that the the second teammate is going to be important in this battle if these cars are closer. If overtaking's hard,
1: yeah. And don't mention that to Kimi Raikkonen because he was <laughs> very confused as to who was mm. uh, having the priority strategy um, in the Grand Prix. Of course, Kimi was well, almost took the lead at the at the start of the race and and, and was running behind Hamilton in that first phase for, for much of the race. So I, I, I think he's quite rightly a little bit aggrieved to be, have ended up uh, not on that top step of the podium because he could have just as easily ended up there. And what a story that would have mm. been um, for the elder statesman of Formula One at the moment. Statesman's an unusual tip to <laughs> relate Raikkonen with. But we'll, the we'll statesman's at the that. Russian Grand Prix, isn't yes. he? When he's sitting <laughs> with 30 and usually.
0: What are you, what I do think it's interesting, though, because I was sitting in a Lewis Hamilton's press conference on Sunday night, and even he said in his head he assumed he was racing Sebastian. Yes, And whether that's because, obviously, he's been racing for, for a year or not, or because he you know, assumed that that was the way they were going to play it, they were going to use Raikkonen to push him into a strategy, and, mm. which ultimately happened, and then allow Vettel some clear air. But we, if we can cast our minds back to Monaco, if we can be so conspiratorial <laughs> as this, where it did seem like Ferrari chose to not allow Kimi Raikkonen to win that race and instead gave it to Sebastian Vettel. Do you think that perhaps there was an opportunity here for Kimi Raikkonen to perhaps have won this race had it not be a situation where maybe Ferrari's yeah. heart is in another place?
1: And by stealth force them to back Kimi for a championship tilt, at least in this first um, mm. portion of, of the season. Of course, it will all change once we return to Europe. But so far, it's advantage Vettel. And to be honest, they're probably already thinking now this is Vettel's championship season. We have to put in all of our eggs into that one basket at the moment. Because if you think about the reality, Mercedes in their heart of hearts no it's mm-hmm. hamilton to back for the championship not bottas uh red bull probably more in an interesting predicament where either drop well at least publicly they have to say <laughs> both drivers yeah. have an equal shot of the it's world the championship press <laughs> yeah but in this instance of course ricardo was 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 above but but also for yeah for that's an interesting one for kimi especially when he's in his last uh, season on his contract at the well,
0: moment it is a, of this current contract yeah. but you never know how many times they're going to resign him Yes. So, which is because you keep re-signing him, and obviously there is a, a lack of options for Ferrari. And, and Kimmy's happy to continue raking in the cash while he still can. Obviously, he also enjoys driving. But you know, in a situation where he outperformed Vettel all weekend, outqualified Vettel nearly, as you said, got Hamilton into turns one and two, and on that first lap, and was close to Hamilton for a lot of the race as well. Certainly in that mm. first stint, even if Hamilton was maybe holding a little bit back, that the strategy that. I suppose, had the most opportunity to win the race or at least do something different wasn't given to him. Mm.
1: And I I just think that's something that's going to be interesting that will play out for the rest of the year. Correct, especially if Raikkonen has a few more good races up his mm. sleeve as well. Uh, because, But it's almost not a case of, oh, if Kimi Raikkonen wins, it's a little bit less of a glossy story for Ferrari. That would be an awesome story for Ferrari, the mm-hmm. oldest... Person on the grid wins the championship again after last winning it ten years ago <laughs> for the same. He even left to to go to compete in another category, mm. came back to form the one with Lotus, and then comes back to Ferrari and wins the damn thing again. So, and it, it's amazing just the adoration people have for Kimi Räikkönen. He's still for a, a man of very few words, still one of those <laughs> the people. The crowd was chanting. His name. Uh, we ran onto the grid after the race, and just the love and affection people have mm-hmm. for Kimi Raikkonen when he doesn't dish it back. <laughs> it is quite bizarre. It's the
0: most one-sided it relationship. Is. There's Lewis Hamilton every moment trying to connect with fans and saying, oh, I love you it. all, yeah. And I'll make Kimi Raikkonen, who knows that all you had to do is not turn up to things. And yeah, wear sunglasses on the podium. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the double teaming is ultimately what got Lewis Hamilton, what lost him his lead, but I think the second critical point here was what Mercedes later admitted was a a data error or an error with, as Toto Wolf said, the algorithms, which is a nice word you put in when you don't exactly know what happened because (laughs) what does algorithm really mean in this context? But they miscalculated the time that he needed to be close to Vettel. Um, So obviously after he'd stopped and Vettel hadn't, he was a certain amount of time behind Sebastian Vettel and they miscalculated what I suppose is called the virtual safety car window or the safety car window. He was 11.6 seconds behind Vettel when that virtual safety car came out for the two broken-down harses on the side of the road. And they said, that's fine. That should be perfect. And then when Vettel pitted and it wasn't perfect, they said, we don't know what's going on. These numbers are central to a strategy. They're your safety numbers. They're the numbers that you need to know because safety cars are triggered at last minutes. And these are the things you need to keep in mind when there's a split strategy you're playing against, This was the case here with Ferrari, this seems like a really rookie error for Mercedes to have made.
1: Or the fact that they've gone, they, they've, we've had the virtual safety car now for for a couple of years, and for now to realise, oh, whoops, we forgot to factor in the pit lane mm. doesn't really count in the virtual safety car. So if uh, yeah, Vettel can go as quickly as he likes all the way through up until what that that the the end of that white line, mm-hmm. um, and he can still still make the pass, which which is eventually what happened. It was only a matter of a couple of seconds difference. Yeah, it
0: was very close. It was a
1: difference, but it was the difference between 25 to 18 points.
0: And it's just so strange because we associate Mercedes with nailing strategy calls, pit stops, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's beginning to look like because they haven't been so flawless in the last couple of years that in those three years where they were dominating, they were almost without realising it a little bit lacking in match fitness. I mean, we all remember what year was it in Monaco where they blew Lewis Hamilton's win there because they pulled him in for no reason and didn't bother to check the times. And I know that was a bit more of an unusual situation, but... It's just a very strange error. It's one we'd normally associate with Ferrari. To be honest, if Ferrari done this, I would have said, "Well, of course they did." (laughs) But for Mercedes to do it is extremely strange. Apparently, they've got one of the most sophisticated strategy machines in the business. They've also got uh, Mr. Vowles, who's one of the best strategists, supposedly, in the business. And I think this will really be one that, from that perspective, from that no stone unturned perspective that Mercedes really prides itself on, is going to hurt them because this one was Hamilton's in the
1: bag, really. Yeah, and but. As well, on the flip side, I think it's it, it makes Mercedes even more dangerous for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. You think about now; they will forensically look as to why on earth that happened. Um, where were the gaps in in in, in the research in, in getting the safety cast in the virtual safety cast strategy in the first place, and then seeing what other um, flaws they may have in their system, and just furthering improving and, and further improving that um, for the next race in a, in a couple of weeks. So, uh, it is a blip, but mm-hmm. But but by no means this is the wheels are falling off. Have have Mercedes inherited a Ferrari virus circa nineteen ninety two?
0: Unless Ferrari's given them that advice, in which case, well, who knows? Could explain the algorithm malfunction. Let's talk about that safety car because that was ultimately decisive for a lot of other positions in this race. Uh, But let's talk about what triggered it, first of all. It was two pit stops for Haas, uh, first for Kevin Magnussen, then for Romain Grosjean. Great weekend for Kevin Magnussen as well. He was running in fourth when he stopped, and then he stopped for good in that race because it was as simple as a cross-threaded wheel nut. His was the rear left, and Grosjean had exactly the same problem a couple of laps later, strangely enough, and his was the front left left. Uh, Gunther Steiner, the principal of Haas, simply said that they weren't practiced enough. And, you know, it's 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 hard to say because we saw the mechanics afterwards in the television pictures, didn't we? And they yeah. were distraught. I mean, yeah. they were in tears, some of them. And mm. poor old Romain Grosjean had to go and comfort them. Yeah. But that's sort of, that's bread and butter stuff to to not make that error. And it does show that, I mean, they're only a three-year-old team and these mistakes, they fall through the cracks.
1: That's true. But, but, but a lot of those mechanics, they would have cherry picked out of Renault. They would have- out of force India a lot of those sort of midfield teams so between them there's a wealth of Formula 1 experience in there already so again it it may lead to questions as to what their routine is and and, and their procedures for um, practicing pit stops I I don't doubt that they already do that and Mm -hmm. there's no sort of history that Haas have ever stuffed up pit stops in the past before this is a very unfortunate and very public error on mm-hmm. their behalf. But yet again, it is like that old saying of, you know, if someone stuffs something up, you want them actually to do that job again because you know they will not do it again. And if they do it, then they're just quite frankly incompetent for the yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but, but for Haas, though, you know, uh, it, I, I didn't enjoy the, the uh, tit for tat between Alonso and Magnussen, where Alonso accused, or mm-hmm. well, basically, this is a facsimile of the 2017 <laughs> Ferrari. <laughs> F1 car, and it was interesting as to I wasn't overly convinced in testing, like I was about the Toro Rosso, we'll get back to that mm-hmm. later um, I thought, oh, maybe they're just showboating a little bit the, the Haas cars in testing, but the pace was genuine across the weekend, so for them in the space of a few years they've come a long way to be a genuinely top midfield team i mean to run fourth to to get in the way of the red bull drivers mm-hmm. was bloody impressive and, and kevin Magnuson rightfully said you know fernando i've been i've raced for mclaren i know what that te- i know how many people work there i know the infrastructure i know how uh, p- pedantic they are about you know clean floors and nuts mm-hmm. being polished <laughs> uh, as in the uh, on the in the building uh and we're a little team that uh, of, of of rookies effectively mm-hmm. um and and we and we beat them
0: I think it 's going to become over this season extremely controversial because uh, I was sitting with um, Otmar Safnauer and um, Andy Green at Force India after Sunday, yeah. and they talked mostly about Haas in their race review of their own race yeah. and I mean as the only as I suppose one of the only other or the few other fellow midfield team true fellow midfield teams because McLaren and Renault we all are anticipating it 's a matter of time before they climb up and join yeah. the front runners, whether next year or, or later mm. uh, later on. They feel quite aggrieved because they're doing what you might call the traditional route of building up their team, and they seem to genuinely believe. Though they didn't say it in as many words; they were careful not to say it. That you know, it does look a lot like last year's Ferrari, and that seems a bit sus. So I do wonder how this situation is going to evolve. I don't. I, I don't necessarily think there's there's much chance that there are rules being broken, but. Mm. I, it does raise an interesting question. This is a little bit off topic, but the philosophy of you not having to build that much of the car to classify as a constructor. Only yeah. really the bodywork and, and the survival cell and then everything else you can just buy from Ferrari, for example, and, mm. and you qualify as a constructor.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know how we get to this situation every few years, for example. Before that, it was Toro Rosso and the Red Bull. Technology mm. link where, you know, the 2007 and eight cars looked exactly the same, um, <laughs> albeit powered by a different engine back then. Um, I think there was even the accusation that, um, that Toyota about... Oh, 12 years ago or so, their the 2003 car was almost a facsimile of of the Ferrari of the previous year. Like they got some tracing paper out of the car. Well, that car obviously does bloody well. So if we trace it, therefore mm. ipso facto will have a, a championship-winning car. Uh, and what a sucker that was for two <laughs> Um But I don't know how we get to this situation. Every We close loopholes. There's always talk about customer cars and, and Williams, for some reason, are always the feverishly against mm-hmm. customer cars. But... but you're right we're at the stage now where you can pick and choose different bits you know you can i think at one point the Manor was you know it was was wind tunneled at mclaren but it was powered by a ferrari engine in a gearbox and Mm -hmm. you know so there's there's lots of mongrel cars out there that are (laughs) powered that are you know you can get something out of um mercedes you can get something out of mclaren you can get something out of red bull or Renault. um but we, we always find this situation so what just open slather. so what does everyone buddy up with the factory B team does Force India become a de facto Mercedes B team Toro Rosso Renault uh, sorry and Red Bull. who does Renault partner up with do they reunite mm-hmm. with Williams for example so you know work it out guys yeah. what do you want to be <laughs>
0: It is interesting, and you wonder, yeah, maybe this will become a customer car scenario by stealth. But if we go back briefly to that virtual safety car, the winners uh, included Fernando Alonso, who managed to jump the big two time. Renaults he was stuck behind. So he did very well uh, to, out of this one. Also, Sebastian uh, obviously, Sebastian Vettel <laughs> won out of this one. In fact, he literally won out yes. of this one. <laughs> Likewise, Daniel Ricciardo, because they all save time on those pit stops that they would have otherwise had to make. But the big losers were, of course, Renault, Nico Hülkenberg, and Carlos Sainz. Not only because Carlos Sainz was nearly sick because his drink bottle yeah. came kept force feeding him water and he didn't realize it apparently until he Felt there was a lot of water in his stomach because he was going around corners. Uh, but also, yeah, both Force India cars. None of them were able to take advantage of that virtual safety car because they stopped in the laps immediately preceding, which meant those who hadn't stopped suddenly had this time advantage where a pit stop only cost them, ooh, about 10 seconds or thereabouts, certainly less than the 11.6 that uh, yeah. Lewis Hamilton allowed for.
1: Well, I know Daniel was concerned about um, the virtual safety car coming out. He, I think he was on the radio to his engineer saying, oh, are we screwed here mm. because of it? Um, and of course, Dan was... With with the grid place penalty, he had. Um, after after the red flag period in practice two on Friday, and then obviously mm-hmm. was bumped down three or four places down the grid, he was issuing a warning to all the other drivers saying, "Watch out, here I come." Yeah, uh, I, th- I think that applied to Holkenberg, and then <laughs> Verstappen spun out, and the safety car came out, mm-hmm. and, and that was that. So um, it was a good fight back for for Dan, mm. albeit quite lucky. Yeah, occasions but... a
0: lot of fortune, but he did pass Holkenberg in a great move. Max yeah. Verstappen spun because he was getting a bit angry behind uh, old mate Kevin Magnus I think there was
1: some damage on the car as well. So
0: you remember, I think he oversteered out of turn 12 because he was so close to Magnussen and then that caused damage, which eventually apparently caused the spin. Uh, but it is worth noting in terms of Daniel Ricciardo, worried that was going to be a problem for his race, was because he started on the super soft tyre. Yeah. Him and Verstappen started on the Contra strategy, the only ones in the top 10 to do so. It didn't really play that much into it because it was an easy one-stop, so everyone got to choose where they were going to stop. But it was, obviously, Ricciardo expected to go longer because the regular one-stop window was about lap 25, And mm. but little known to him, I suppose, at that time that most other people had already stopped, so by default, he'd become one of the longer yeah. stoppers, even though it was probably a normal stop window So I thought it was interesting just to sort of conclude that talk about the virtual safety car that Christian Horner said after the race. He's not really a fan of the virtual safety car over double waved yellow flags. Mm. And I guess this is in the context of before there were marshals in that truck on the circuit when the FIA or the stewards were still assessing how they might be able to collect that car. Because what otherwise might be a double yellow flag for a, a particular sector of the track, it neutralizes the whole race. And it does sort of create good luck, bad luck situations that maybe are not necessary when you could just either go straight to a safety car or Mm. just neutralise one or two corners. I mean, is that something perhaps... That we should go back and revise in terms of virtual safety car use. The fact that if we use it too liberally, it's just mm. creating these kind of arbitrary situations where some gain and some don't. That's
1: true. And it was a case of okay, we got the virtual safety car out. A couple laps later, Oh, let's tuck the real one out. We're, mm. we're going to have some. We're going to need a truck to get rid of this car out of here. Um, so yeah, they just. I think. Just, I'm not sure why they didn't bring out the safety car in the first place. It made a lot of sense because there was no immediate escape mm-hmm. road to, to wheel the car in and, and hide it. Either. I think there's on literally on the other side of just where Bottas crashed on, on Saturday, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's an opening to the track there. and still far away. You don't want Marshalls pushing the car backwards. No. They're not going to do that in sort of one minute. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. So I do wonder whether that is something that will be reviewed. We know Christian Horner does like to stir the pot, but, you know, it's something interesting nonetheless. I mean, Formula 1 also, on the other hand, I suppose, is not really used to that full-course yellow idea that some other categories are. So there's also a little bit of that at play here, I think. and
1: to be honest, I watched the race again today and I was a little bit uncomfortable by... The ability that you can make up position under virtual safety car, because of course mm-hmm. the point is it neutralizes everything. It's, it's it's almost a, a a moving suspension of the race. Mm-hmm. Everything time stays frozen. The cars move. It's very complicated. It's very inceptiony. <laughs> um, but the fact that you know you got Vettel knowing that, hang on, if I really give it the beans here, which which he's allowed to do, mm-hmm. I can make up the position when you know the point of a virtual safety car. Mm-hmm. is on the word safety, yeah. There's marshals about, you know, a couple hundred meters up the road.
0: It is interesting. It is an interesting rule. I wonder if that's something we'll hear more about. Um, just quickly to talk about, we've already talked a bit about Ricardo. How he made up four places. He started from eighth. One was that pass on Hulkenberg. Yeah. It was only one. It shows how hard overtaking was here. One was from Verstappen when he spun, and the two Haas retirements helped him. Bottas though did make three passes, which was a lot for Melbourne. That's which very was, impressive.
1: Which was which was the, the he was the quiet achiever of mm. the race. For you know, he started down on the grid already with a penalty before the season mm-hmm. began. Um, And, yeah, of course, Hamilton stole the limelight in terms of uh, leading much of the race up until the virtual safety car. But, you know, for Bottas, he he recovered well. Mm -hmm. Granted, he's in a very quick car, but... As well, it also proves that the you know if the Mercedes was as quick as everyone was saying, Bottas should have finished second to Hamilton on the podium. Because they were saying the delta time
0: they expected to be able to pass was about two seconds. So if he had that two second faster car, it would have been easier. Whereas he only finished eighth in the end, probably a little bit underwhelming for Mercedes. We all thought he'd be sort of cutting straight through that field up until you know maybe Mm. six or thereabouts, but. Still a solid race for him, I suppose. A salvageable race where he scored some points after a fairly high-profile error. Mm. Now we all go to China, where, of course, last year he spun behind the safety car, didn't he? So if yes. he can make up for that, then <laughs> that'll be positive. Uh, and finally, I think it's worth noting, if we look towards the back of the grid, which didn't get a lot of attention because the race was so straightforward, but there were plenty of retirements. We know that. We had uh, Sergei Sorotkin for Williams retire because of a plastic bag getting caught in somewhere in his car, which is no good. Uh, we also had uh, power steering problems up and down the grid, and we did have, as well, for Toro Rosso, a Honda engine problem. Now, Charles Leclerc made up one position because of that uh, and, of course, he also got one on Brendan Hartley who had to two-stop because he locked up his tyres and he also passed Lance Stroll uh, because... He passed Lance Stroll. It's as simple as that. (laughs) Sort of suggests maybe that the Sauber's not so far back uh, as it was. But what was interesting is that idea that maybe this backmarker order does go Sauber, Williams, and then Toro Rosso, which I think will interest a lot of people because to have Toro Rosso at the back Mm. is probably not what many people expected. And doubly disappointing that they already had an engine failure.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I think the only happy campers were McLaren going, we are so relieved (laughs) we made a good decision here because... Had they stuck around and go, okay, now we believe you, Honda. This time you'll get mm-hmm. your act together. They would have been the one. Alonso would have he would have caught the flight home on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> to be quite frank, um, but yeah, I mean it was surprising, but not surprising at the same time to see Toro Rosso at the very back of the field, which is mm-hmm. which is concerning because of course that has permutations with next season if the if the actual divorce between mm-hmm. Red Bull and and Renault Sport does happen. Uh, that and Red Bull by force have to use a Honda engine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's that's going to be worrying times for them. Um, because I don't think they're going to go uh, unless there's a there's a miracle throughout the season and the engine develops even further. And mm-hmm. then of course next season it's even better. There's some question marks there, but that's a whole philosophical debate for another for another episode. But, um. <laughs> But the but you're right as well, the Williams as well, uh, not the best car, but not the worst car either. You have to think, how much is it related to the driver lineup? There was, of mm-hmm. course, the question mark as to whether Kubica was actually faster than mm-hmm. Sergei Sorotkin throughout testing. And, you know, if, if it was a... It, you would almost wish... Williams could race three cars, so you could actually see what the order was. Why don't we just have an invitational class? Go, come on, <laughs> Formula One, you're in a wacky mood at the moment <laughs> with theme music and, and logos. <laughs> Bring out one invitational guest car. Put Bob Kibitzer in the car, mm-hmm. and let's see. And let's just get it out of the way once and for all. Let's let's either confirm the myth mm-hmm. or confirm the myth.
0: Yeah, it's it is interesting because you do wonder as well. On top of that, how much just that speculation and having Robert Kubica around does affect those drivers too? Because I think I noticed on the television coverage I think it was during practice you know every time Sorotkin or Stroll had a bit of a scrappy lap they seemed to cut to Kubica as yes. if to go come on <laughs> why, so. what are you doing so I do wonder whether or not that'll become like a critical mass and maybe that's the way Kubica finds his way yeah. back in next year or whether it just doesn't help the team at all and they all end up back at square one and this is yeah. going back to the Williams of the Maldonado era which is sort of a bit low all the time
1: which is sad because you've got some great minds over there you've got Claire Williams at at the front of the team you've got Paddy Lowe, Mm -hmm. who was very much part of the orchestra of Mercedes' world titles up until um, last seasons, of course. Uh, You've got Rob Smedley, Mm -hmm. you know, Filippo Massa's BFF (laughs) um, from Ferrari all those years ago. So, there's a very talented lineup over at Williams, but they just can't catch a break at the moment. There's no outstanding, you know, they got quite lucky in terms of, you know, unearthing Bottas when, Mm -hmm. when they did when he was a bit younger and then... Um, yeah, then they had the steady set of hands with Felipe Massa last season, but you know they got two two effective rookies behind mm-hmm. them. I think that's that's going to hurt them quite a lot. But also good news for Sauber as well in terms of they can breathe a little bit easier knowing that there's arguably four cars they c- they can genuinely race against. Mm-hmm. Some days the the, the 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 power of the balance will shift between all of them, but. Sauber will be pretty happy that they can actually race competitively now a little bit more.
0: So they don't just have to race themselves like all of last yeah, year, pretty yeah. much. Be more interesting for the drivers at least. Mark Saxon will be thankful. Well, it was a tense Grand Prix, the Australian Grand Prix. I think uh, certainly it wasn't a two-stop affair that some people wanted or expected, and uh, it did raise some questions about maybe the track layout and the competitive order. But it's a fine starter to what will hopefully be an exciting season. It's been a pleasure to look back on it with you, Rob James. Sure, thank you, Michael. That was Rob James from F1 Podcast, Box of Neutrals. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. You can get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review to help other F1 fans find the show. You can also read the written report at f1strategyreport.com and stay up to date by finding us on Facebook and Twitter. My name's Michael Laminato. you can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in two weeks' time for a wrap-up of the Bahrain Grand Prix.